You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Welcome into the Late Night Gamecock Show. My name is Matt Anderson, and this is episode 19 of the show. And I am recording this on Monday, August 21st at about 10.41 p.m. So, happy to be here with everybody. I know that it's been... um, a fun couple weeks now, looking at a couple Gamecock scrimmages, seeing all those notes and stuff, and I'll have plenty to talk about about the scrimmages and some some inside information I'm hearing about some players and, and what's happening along those lines. But for those of you that are, are new to the podcast, I usually record this podcast on Mondays and Thursday nights, and um, usually the podcast is um, put up around Tuesday morning, maybe late Monday night. Um, late Thursday night or early Friday morning, just depending on when I get it recorded and and when I get it over to JC and Phil. But I thank you so much for joining me tonight. I'm really excited to talk Gamecocks with you. And as always, you can reach me at latenightgamecockshow at gmail.com, or you can find me on the Big Spur message boards under the username Matt Anderson. But with all of that out of the way, let's get on to the show. We'll start out tonight's episode talking about some scrimmage notes and some team notes. And I think that I have to start out talking about Spencer Rattler. This isn't coming just from scrimmages, but more so what I'm hearing when it comes to practice as well. Last episode, I talked about Dowa Loggins and Spencer getting a tight bond and, and really working hand in hand when it comes to the playbook and kind of what play calls are going to be called and what Spencer's comfortable with, what the offense is comfortable with. And, That bond has been even further impressed upon me. These two guys really are in lockstep. They both understand the goals for the season. They understand the goals for Spencer. And Spencer really does feel like he has the offensive horses to kind of play the way he wants to play. I'm not going to say this is going to be an Oklahoma-style offense, but they're definitely taking some concepts from Oklahoma that worked well for Spencer, allowing him to play and not think necessarily. And he's really taken his game to another level under Dowell Loggins. And he's been laser-focused in the preseason, and it's really showing on the practice field and in the scrimmages. Loggins has really broken down the system and made it way less complicated for Spencer. And Spencer's very much taken to it so far. He has a ton of confidence right now, Spencer that is, and his teammates have that same confidence in him. Last year in the preseason, I was told that the Gamecocks had never had this type of arm on talent, or arm talent on campus, I should say, in reference to Spencer. I was obviously, you know, really excited, and I probably got too excited based on him being in his first year in the system. And not everything coming out of last year, I didn't realize how complicated and straight up unnecessary a lot of the plays in the playbook were last year. Simply put, Spencer was sold on a pro-style offense, and Satterfield thought he had the ability to call that type of offense. I mean, guys, needless to say, he, he couldn't in that Satterfield, and he put, he put a lot on Spencer, the team, and he put them in a lot of awful, awful situations. I mentioned it last show, but I kid you not. Oftentimes, Satterfield was trying to install this is not being facetious, y'all. This is this is you're going to hear how utterly ridiculous this is. Potentially twenty to thirty plays in a walkthrough, in five or seven new formations in a walkthrough. 
the entire offense, not just Spencer, spent a lot of time trying to adjust and play on the fly with plays they had not repped during the week. And, guys, I never played organized football, but I have enough friends that did. And when I asked them about that, they said that's absolutely crazy. You should only have five to seven formations that you actually rep and play in, in a game with. And of those five to seven formations, you should only have five to seven plays that come out of each formation. And that's what Spurrier did so well. Spurrier was very adept at running the same play out of multiple formations, and it kept the defense on its toes. So, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm just still flabbergasted that that we saw happen. And, uh, gosh, that's just, that's just tough to think about trying to install all that and you know, it weared on it weared on the players over the course of the season. It weared on the other coaches. Um, what was trying to be installed and committed to memory for not only the players but coaches was really difficult because Satterfield kind of had in his brain what he wanted to do. But at the same time, I know you guys are like me. You've had those amazing ideas in the shower, and when it comes time to implement those in your day to day life. It doesn't, it doesn't always work as planned, and it certainly didn't last year under Satterfield. And I know it's been speculated, but I'll go ahead and say, say it out loud. I'll say the quiet part out loud, that after the Florida game last year, the offensive play calling became much more of an all-hands-on-deck approach where all the coaches had input, and it kind of put Satterfield in a box, so to say. The entire offensive staff, um, Beamer, and even the defensive coaches, they helped Satterfield limit how many formations and plays that Satterfield could call each game. And you saw the results in the Tennessee, Clemson, Notre Dame games. So to say that I'm over the moon about how this spring and fall has gone for the offense, I mean, I can't overstate it. Dowell and Spencer are on the same page. Spencer knows that he has the horses to put points on the board. And in some cases, put points on the board in a hurry. One of the things that Spurrier was famous for was just grabbing momentum from other teams. And that's been an approach that Beamer, you know, obviously saw firsthand coaching under Spurrier, coaching under some other uh, under some other great coaches. But I think you're going to see a lot more shots taken. I think you're going to see the Gamecocks playing a good bit faster. I don't think it's going to be a straight hurry-up offense all the time. But the Gamecocks are going to try and capitalize on other teams' mistakes especially after turnovers, and they're not going to be afraid to take a shot on first down. Where Satterfield, he, he wanted to take shots on first down, but he never really had the nuance to, to do it in a way that you know benefited the Gamecocks. You'd, you'd oftentimes, under Satterfield, you would see the Gamecocks you know, go three and out after forcing a turnover. You know, three and out, negative three yards on three plays or six yards on three plays. And and you saw Beamer, who wanted to be aggressive, and especially over the last two years, sometimes he just told Satterfield, this is four-down territory and you're going for it. And sometimes Satterfield didn't know that it was four-down territory. And, and I think Shane just got very, very flustered and very upset with Satterfield when all of a sudden it was third and seven, Gamecocks are on their opponent's 40-yard line, and they've moved three yards. That, that's not what Beamer wants. And as you can tell with the way that him and, him and Pete Limbo coach, you know they're going to go for two if they see it. They're going to fake a field goal if they see it. They're, they're going to play aggressive, and they're going to coach aggressive. And I think that Dowell Loggins is a much better fit for that type of aggressive mindset. 
And in last season, a lot of the offensive turnovers could be directly correlated to the play call and lack of execution by the offense. The frustrated players, I mean, Satterfield was frustrated. Coaches were frustrated. Once Satterfield kind of got out of his own way and started listening to other coaches and, and limiting his formation, his plays, the offense really took off. I hope that that is a precursor for this season. The goal this season is to win games first and foremost. And while the defense is going to be pretty good, everyone in that office, in that facility, knows that the offense has to be the catalyst for scoring points. We can't rely on the defense getting pick sixes. We can't rely on fake field goals, fake punts. Can't rely on punt returns and kickoff returns for touchdowns. All those things are gravy, but the the Gamecock football office knows that they're going to have to score more points with the offense. But the goal this season, like I said, is obviously to win games first and foremost, but it's also an important season for the coaches and for Spencer Rattler. Um, For Rattler, it's an opportunity to cement himself in those top three rounds of the NFL draft. He was given a fifth-round grade last year when he thought about leaving, but he really does think that he has the opportunity to be a first- or second-round pick based on his arm talent, and and honestly, he's not wrong. He's got to be put in positions to be successful, and for the coaches, that's really important because while quarterback recruiting has kind of taken off, the other skill positions that the Gamecocks are recruiting have to see that unfold in real time. You know, the wide receivers we've missed on, while some of that has been NIL related, there's also some, you know, show me you've done it before. Like you have a Spencer Rattler and last year you threw 18 touchdowns, had 12 interceptions. The offensive recruits want to see points put on the board. They want to see running backs and wide receivers and tight ends scoring touchdowns. It's not always about the quarterback. And I think that the Gamecock staff knows that long term, and especially, you know, those guys harping on, and there's a lot of guys on the message board that are harping on Justin Stepp. It really, it starts at the quarterback position, and, and they've really got to they've really got to get that going. So the goal of this season is to win games, like I said, first and foremost, but to get Rattler's draft stock improved and give the coaches even more to sell um, for recruits. Now it's kind of proven on the field and get more skill position recruits and transfers to buy in, and that's the message that's out there right now. Dowell Loggins will have to be creative in the run game. Um, That's just, you know, we talked a lot about Spencer. We talked a lot about passing the skill position guys, but this year especially I think that Loggins is going to have to be creative in the run game. But if you watch a lot of Arkansas tape from last year and based on what Arkansas did last year, and Dowell Loggins' proven capacity to be able to adapt to his players on the fly. You saw it, and we, we had a, a previous show here, a previous podcast, where I kind of broke down you know, how he adapted to his players at all three of his offensive coordinator stops. I'm, I'm really optimistic we're going to see less three and outs because of the creativity in the run game. I think you're going to see a lot of guys in motion. I think you're going to see a lot of reverses. I think you're going to see a lot of kind of those little the kind of push passes that you see in the NFL that Patrick Mahomes does a lot. You're going to see a lot of RPOs. And I'm I'm just very optimistic about that. I'm very bullish and very optimistic as it stands right now with the offense, especially the passing game. But I've heard some some really creative things that are coming out of, you know, from the backfield, the way they're going to engineer, you know, plays that are kind of run-ish but not necessarily a running play. Maybe some of those pop passes like I talked about. So be on the lookout for that. And I'm also going to tell you, don't sleep on on Joshua Simon. 
everything I'm hearing about this kid is that he is a game changer. He's a field stretcher. Don't let his stats at Western Kentucky fool you because the Gamecocks are learning how to scheme this guy open, and he's catching everything right now um, in the in practices and at the scrimmage and during scrimmages. I guess that was kind of a long intro to the podcast. Um, I didn't think I was going to go that long talking about Spencer Rattler and Dowell Loggins and you know what that kind of relationship is like. But South Carolina's final fall practice scrimmage um, was this past Saturday, and it definitely, from what I've heard, I, I heard some insights on the team's potential for the upcoming season. You know, I, I said last show that the offensive line needed to improve. And, and obviously, you know, anyone that watched the Gamecocks play last year knows that the offensive line needed to improve. But I, I have been told that there was a noticeable improvement in the scrimmage. Maybe it just took them getting their sea legs under them. Maybe it was like the live action, the live pads kind of triggered something for them. And, and you know, when I mentioned this the other day. JC's been covering this for like 20-something years, and he's told me that all but two years, the defense is always ahead of the offense in that first scrimmage. So the offensive line definitely showed some progress. Um, I don't know if it's going to be consistent. I, I don't know that. I don't know if they found a five to seven players. I know they're whittling it down for the offensive line, but um, it, it was night and day. I shouldn't say night and day, but it was a uh, it was different. It was different in that second scrimmage. And and one of the things that a lot of people were impressed by that I talked to that you know were at the scrimmage or, or talked to people that knew or knew about the scrimmage, you know, who heard things or were there, was that on third down the Gamecocks were pretty daggum good from an offensive standpoint. And when I say, you know, pretty daggum good, that's a big sign because the defense is always ahead of the offense when it comes to these scrimmages. So Dowell Loggins on third down, I hope it's going to be a lot different than Marcus Satterfield on third down because we just had too many drives last year that ended in, you know, three plays minus two yards or three plays one yard or three plays six yards. And the Gamecocks were forced to punt or make a difficult decision on going forward on fourth down or um, kicking a field goal. Um, right now, the wide receiver position, I'm, I'm feeling really, really good about Amiron Brown and Xavier Leggett. Um, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Omega Blake as well. Um, Juice Wells still not practicing. I'm, I'm still 50-50 on him playing against North Carolina, leaning him, leaning more towards him playing against North Carolina. But I think one of the bigger stories here is kind of one of the the last recruit that the Gamecocks got before Nicholas Harbor. And I guess we'll talk about both of them. But Elijah Caldwell, as a true freshman, is going to play meaningful snaps for the Gamecocks. He's a polished wide receiver. He comes from a great high school program. And he's been making plays every opportunity he gets. And he's I've been told he's solidly, solidly on the two deep. Um, he can potentially play in some five, five wide receiver sets, you know, when they just spread it out. Um, we'll see what happens, maybe some four wide receiver sets. But when you have, you know, Juice, Xavier, and Amarion kind of kind of leading the way as the three clear cut wide receivers, Omega Omega Blake, um Elijah Caldwell, you have the two tight ends. There's just a lot of options there in the passing game. And don't sleep on Nicholas Harbor. I know a lot of people are disappointed with Nicholas Harbor right now because they just kind of expected him, you know, this five star athlete. One of the top recruits Carolina's ever had. Absolute freak of nature. Just give him time and let the game slow down for him. Right now, he's playing wide receiver for the first time in his career. He's used to playing tight end. 
he's having a little bit of trouble getting off his brakes and getting um not really off off his brakes, but off the line of scrimmage. Um, I don't think there's any breaks on this kid, and I don't think they're going to be asking him to run curls or or comebacks or anything like that. It's going to be use your track speed and go. So they're still trying to find ways to to work through what he's working through, and it's going to be all about getting the right matchups. I wouldn't be surprised to see Nicholas Harbour in the slot some to keep that defensive defensive player off of him in the line of scrimmage because once he gets moving, he's able to make some acrobatic catches he's able to take the ball and run with it uh he really is a freak of nature but just i just ask you guys to be patient with nick nicholas harbour as he comes along because he's very happy at south carolina he's not going anywhere he's taken to coaching he's going to be somebody that you know maybe fourth fifth sixth game of the season is going to be making some waves but just give him a little bit of time so we'll talk a little bit more about the quarterback position. There's a lot of enthusiasm around Lenore Sellers inside the building. Uh, he's he's mainly been practicing with a third and fourth team, but he did take some second team scrim second team um, possessions and drives in the scrimmage. And while Luke Doty would still probably probably be the number two quarterback if the season started today, they're definitely giving Lenore Sellers some reps and getting him in a position to play if necessary coming this upcoming season. I don't know what that holds for the future. I can't say if that means that Luke Doty is, you know, relegated to backup for his next two years, but I'm just telling you that Lenore Sellers does things at the quarterback position that if the Gamecocks didn't have Spencer Rattler, it would be a very big open competition between Luke Doty, Tanner Bailey, and, Lenore Sellers, and I'm not sure that I could say Lenore would not win that competition as a true freshman. He's just doing things that you don't see true freshmen do. So, you know, we, we had some transfers on the offensive line, Nick Garugelo and Sidney Fugar, and they've definitely solidified their spots in the top seven of the offensive line rotation. I don't know where Nick's going to play. He could play left guard. He could play center. He could play right guard. I don't know where he's going to f- eventually fall in. It's still about getting all the right guys in the, in the right spots and the guys understanding what the guy to their right and left is doing on a per-play basis. But Nick's definitely one of the one of the leaders of the offensive line. And then Sidney Fugar has really come on strong in um, summer workouts and fall practice. He, he has an opportunity to be a starting right or left tackle for the Gamecocks this year. And and looking at what the Gamecocks have on the offensive line, it, it might be needed. He's a very physical, violent offensive lineman, and he's known to be a great pass protector. So I don't know if it's going to be a right tackle, left tackle. I can't even say for sure he's going to start. There's still so much more that needs to be unsettled on the offensive line and finding the right positions, but he's someone that's coming along coming along really, really well. And, and don't discount these guys' experience. You know, while it hasn't necessarily been at the Power Five level, they've played a lot of football and been pretty successful um, there. Talking about some injury concerns here, um, wide receivers Antoine Wells and Nicholas Harbour missed the recent scrimmage. Um, I know a lot of people are wondering what's going on with both of them. We talked a little bit about Juice Wells a little while ago. Juice is just nursing an injury. They're not going to be, they're not going to rush him back. They're going to be very cautious with it. And with Nick. I just know it's an upper body injury. I don't know exactly what happened. They're keeping it kind of hush-hush. I don't think it's a bad thing, 
But when you have a guy of of his abilities, not only on the football field but on the track, on the track and field, um, I guess track. <laughs> I don't know if you call it a track or a field, but when you have a guy of his abilities, you know, with HIPAA and everything, you don't want to release things that can negatively impact him in any way as he's preparing for all of his athletic ventures coming up. In the running back room, you know, we talked about this last show, on Joyner is 100% the, the starting running back, the lead running back. He's shown some agility and vision um, so far, and he's actually running well between the tackles. So, And he's bulked up a little bit too. It's not going to look like the same on Joyner you've seen over the past couple of years. Juju McDowell, um, he's also done a good job. You know what you're going to get with Juju. He's an electric player with the ball in his hands. He he competes his butt off, and he's going to be a good player. Um, the other guys, you know, Mario Anderson and DJ Braswell, they're still flashing different ways and, and different times, but I don't think that either of them are truly ready to carry the bulk of um, the carries for the Gamecocks, and they're not going to be asked to. But they are the Gamecocks are going to need all four running backs to play a role this season in different ways. I mean, if it's just keeping some carries off to carry on, um, keeping him fresh, we'll see what happens. But Juju's kind of like that that Swiss Army knife. You can do a lot of things from the slot, from the backfield, catching the ball, running the ball, punt returns, kickoffs. You know, I don't know where exactly he's going to fit in on special teams, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him eventually field a couple of those this season. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but I do think that the tempo is something you're going to see different with the Gamecocks. It's not going to be a tempo where, like, why the why the heck are the Gamecocks going so fast right now? It's going to be calculated and measured. And when the Gamecocks think they have the opportunity to go fast, when they have the opportunity to, to limit substitutions from the defense and get in the formations they want and, you know, get the matchups they want, I don't think you're going to see the he- any hesitation at all with the Gamecocks with, with, with going that route. Uh, you know, Trey Knox, Josh Simon, Omega Blake, they're all they're all doing good things. I'm trying to run through my head right now on the offense. Um, haven't really heard a much a, a much a lot much more about any of those guys. It's kind of been those guys that I keep hearing about um, you know, nonstop. You know, having Trey Knox back from injury, you know, he avoided a scare on, on his knee and he's back practicing and back scrimmaging and he called a he called a touchdown on the scrimmage the other day. Defensively, the team's in good shape. Uh, Nick Imanwara, DQ Smith, Stone Bland, Debo Williams, they're, they're really playing well right now. And it's been a long time since I could say that the Gamecocks had you know, great linebacker play and, and safety play. But the Gamecocks returned two sophomores who were All-Americans last year as freshmen. They've, they've picked up right where they left off. Uh, Stone Bland and Debo Williams have really – you know, taking it up a notch this year, and, and they're they're playing really well at linebacker, and they're holding off some talented guys. Um, so excited about them. You know, that's really all I have on scrimmage and fall practice. You know, if I get more, I'll make sure I tell you guys about it on Thursday night. But I'm excited about the Gamecocks. And I know every year, you know, two weeks, three weeks, a week, a day before the season, you know, every Gamecock fan thinks that the Gamecocks are going to go undefeated. And, and I'm not quite there yet, but I am getting optimistic about the Gamecocks. I'm optimistic that they will be able to, you know, at least get to that 7-8 win mark. And we'll have a, a future a future show where I break down the schedule and I talk about, you know, why I think the Gamecocks are going to get 
win this game, lose this game, swing games, all that kind of stuff. But right now, I, I definitely think you know seven eight wins is is one hundred percent possible, and even more nine ten wins isn't out of the realm of possibility either. So that's a lot on the team. That's a lot on you know what I'm hearing, fall practice scrimmages, a little bit of a little bit of nuggets that I can give you guys, and really excited, just really excited. Um, football recruiting. Let's move on to that. Daniel Hill will announce his college choice Wednesday, and as of this recording, there's still plenty of optimism from the Gamecock side of things. Daniel Hill, for those of you that don't know, would play running back at South Carolina. He's currently rated as the number 18 athlete and 193rd player overall in the 24/7 Sports Composite rankings. And this is a it's a pure South Carolina Alabama race right now. And despite being South Carolina confident, you can never count out Alabama for a kid they really want. You know, I will say that as of right now, Alabama is similar to South Carolina when it comes to raising NIL funds. And and don't get me wrong, that the, the Crimson Tide are ahead of the Gamecocks and have much more money than the Gamecocks do. I can't say that if Daniel Hill chooses Alabama, it's it's a straight NIL deal. Um, like it has been for a couple other players that the Gamecocks lost out on. You know, most notably Keelan Adams, Jalewis Solomon, and to a lesser degree, Jonathan Paler. But, you know, Daniel Hill's dad, he he hasn't made it a secret that he'd like to see his son play at Alabama. It's an opportunity he never had when he was younger. And to see his son play at Alabama and kind of fulfill his dreams is something that his dad wouldn't mind seeing at all. But he's also been a dad who's letting his son run his own race, so to speak. Um, Hill has a great relationship with the Gamecock coaches. He has a great relationship with the recruiting class coming in. And he likes the idea of the opportunity for early playing time at South Carolina. Um, and in South Carolina, that, that's an opportunity that is, that's more prevalent, more opportunistic than it is in Alabama. Uh, Alabama has, I mean, I think last year they signed three top 100 running backs in the country or something like that, like overall players. I don't know exactly what it was, but there's no shortage of talent and depth at Alabama in that running back room. And if the Gamecocks are able to secure his commitment on Wednesday, it's just going to be another, another battle against a college football blue blood. You think about, you know, grabbing Nicholas Harbor, a five-star who had offers from everybody. You think about Dylan Stewart, um, beat Ohio State for him. And there's been, you know, Cam Pringle, Josiah Thompson, a lot of kids lately that have had offers from who's who's and and who's who's that are pushing for him. And that would just be another feather in Shane Beamer's cap to go toe-to-toe with Alabama for a kid they want. And, And make no mistake about it, Alabama wants Daniel Hill, and they, they they would accept a commitment from him in a heartbeat. So that's coming up on Wednesday. You mark your calendars, and you know it's just a waiting game now. I know the Gamecock staff is optimistic. I'm optimistic. I, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be on South Carolina right now. But I have learned in this NIL space that nothing's ever done. So... Looking forward to that, and I'm hoping the Gamecocks can can get back on the right side of some recruiting battles that, you know, three of them in a row haven't really gone the Gamecocks' way. I guess I should have led off with this, but South Carolina did earn a commitment from a late transfer who will be eligible this upcoming season. Defensive end Drew Tuazama, who last played at UAB, will be on the roster this year for the Gamecocks. 
If you've spent any time at all on the message boards over the past few months, this was indeed the transfer that was the mystery defensive end transfer. As of two months ago, it looked pretty promising that he would be a member of this year's football team, but he had some summer classwork that he had to get done to graduate, and that led to a delay in him joining uh, delay in him joining the Gamecocks team. I know that Shane and, and the guys would have loved to have him here at fall practice, but it was one of those things where there was a professor who had to who had to finish grading some stuff and it wasn't necessarily the professor's, you know, biggest priority and the Gamecocks just at some point didn't know if they were going to be able to get him in in time for um, the fall semester. And I know a lot of people have been wringing their hands over why couldn't this guy's name be revealed earlier. And the biggest reason for that is the kid had not entered the transfer portal yet. You know, there had been some some conversation between not necessarily the kid in South Carolina, but some people around the kid who said that he'd like to go to South Carolina and South Carolina said, well, we're not going to talk to you until, you know, you actually enter the transfer portal. So the coaching staff, you know, even though there are some, some back, some back, you know, back, back words or whatever it was, they did not want his name getting out there as a guy that was potentially in the trans entering the transfer portal, you know, between his intermediaries and South Carolina and those conversations that took place, the Gamecocks wanted to keep him a secret so they could add him to this year's roster because they really didn't need another defensive end. So that's the reason for the hush-hush. Um, I hope no one's upset about that. It, it ended well. I'm happy that he's going to be a Gamecock. As for the player, he's a six foot five, 275-pound defensive end. He started his career at Syracuse before spending some time at a community college. I can't remember what it is, maybe like East Mississippi or something like that. But when he was at UAB in 2022, he earned all-conference USA honorable mention honors. Uh, Per NCAA rules, he'll have to spend his first three practices without pads before he can practice in full. So I don't know if he'll play or make an impact against North Carolina week one. But either way, he's going to be a valuable piece of the two deep this year for South Carolina's defense. I've been told he's a really good player who's going to make a difference this season. I've been told he's an animal. I've been told he's a guy that the Gamecocks, when they when they missed out on the kid that ended up going to Missouri, and I'm blanking on his name right now, you know, this was the logical pivot if he entered the portal. And once he entered the portal, it was a no-brainer. And the Gamecocks did a great job keeping this hush-hush. You know, after he entered the portal, yeah, I think it was two weeks ago, he had numerous Power 5 school offers and, and, and teams reach out to him. So the Gamecocks did a good job there, and sometimes it's one of those things where, as fans, we want to know everything, but it's in the best interest of the football program and the football team for us not to know everything sometimes. In other recruiting news, Ryan Montgomery, who is a top 24-7 sports composite-rated quarterback from the class of 2025, he released a top five the other day, and as of tonight, the two front runners are South Carolina and Florida. As we all know, South Carolina is in pretty good shape at quarterback going forward um, between uh, you know, Lenore Sellers, Tanner Bailey, Luke, Luke Doty, um, Landon Duckworth in the 2026 class, Dante, Dante Reno in this class. So obviously the Gamecocks have you know, not an embarrassment of riches at quarterback, but a plethora of talent, and you know, that's a good thing. 
But just as any college program does, you know, they're, they're going to need to continue to add talent on talent and let the best players win the starting jobs. And this is shaping up to be a South Carolina and Florida battle. I haven't done a deep dive into Florida's quarterback recruiting, but but lately the Gamecocks kind of get their guy more often than not when it comes to the quarterback position. So while it's early, this is one to keep your eyes on. Other 2025 prospect news. Several 2025 recruiting targets for South Carolina have been recognized on Max Prep's preseason junior All-Americans teams. In the last show, we talked about some of the sophomores that were on this team. But the Gamecocks have extended offers to a lot of these athletes. And so first team, you have offensive lineman Chauncey Gooden out of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, He visited South Carolina in March of 2023. Um, another first-team guy, Elijah Griffin, defensive tackle from Savannah, Georgia. Uh, he's he's the top defensive lineman in his class, and he's made multiple visits to South Carolina. Um, he was also in town for the Texas A and M Texas A and M game, which is a pretty big one this past season. Uh, another first-teamer is linebacker Zayden Walker out of Georgia. He's the top linebacker in his class, and he's been to South Carolina for several events. And he was there for the Tennessee game this past season, which Yet again, good game to have some guys at, if you know what I mean. Um, Second team, offensive lineman Mason Short, another kid out of Georgia. um, Visited South Carolina each of the last two years in June, so 2022 and 2023. Um, Offensive lineman Solomon Thomas out of Jacksonville, Florida, is another second teamer. Uh, Fourth best prospect in Florida. And he was at the July 2023 cookout that we've talked a lot about. And we recapped that cookout on past shows. So go back and listen to that. If you missed it, not much has changed from those cookouts. A kid from Alabama is a defensive end, Jared Smith, considered the best edge rusher in his class. And he attended um, the South Carolina Shane Beamer camp this past summer. Uh, Also on the second team from North Carolina is defensive end Bryce Davis. Visited South Carolina for Beamer Camp this summer and the 2023 July Cookout. Um, these recruits, who've already, they're all guys that have already shown interest in South Carolina. They've visited. They're among the top talent in the nation. And, you know, when the Gamecocks have an opportunity to get out early and recruit, and, and that's kind of the blessing in disguise that a lot of people aren't talking about right now with, like, the high-level kids the Gamecocks already have committed, the high-level kids the Gamecocks have been in the game for. This is just, you know, showing you that once the Carolina gets, you know, these recruits in the boat, now it's time to not only finish out this class, but start looking to future classes. And just another reason I say that, you know, giving to Carolina Rise and other NILs are, NILs for the Gamecocks, I should say, is paramount at this point in time because the other schools aren't running out of money. They're only getting more. And South Carolina has to continue on that trajectory. When you look at these guys who are, you know, first and second team, all Americans, according to to max preps for the next recruiting class. And it makes a difference. It gets you the Nicholas Harbors. It gets you the Dylan, the Dylan Stewart's and, you know, park Avenue can only go so far. And we'll talk more about park Avenue a little bit later. But as for the rest of the 2024 class, outside of Daniel Hill, there isn't much to report on. The Gamecocks are looking to add somewhere between 8 and 12 more kids to get signed for this class. They have, they have their eyes on some guys already offered who we've talked about in the past that remain uncommitted. 
and also others that are committed to other schools. So just saying, don't don't be surprised if you see some some flip watch here coming up. But as always, and I say this all the time, there there's going to be kids that emerge from this year's senior class with the senior senior film. And don't be shocked if the Gamecocks end up taking four or five guys that you haven't heard of at this point in the recruiting calendar. So I always say this, stay locked into the Big Spur. Make sure that you know who those guys are when they become priorities. And, and we'll talk about them on this show. But just just a reminder, like recruiting never stops. And, and Taylor Edwards and his staff and, and those guys in the football office are constantly watching tape. They're getting tape every single day from high school coaches throughout the state, throughout the country, that want their kids to, to be noticed. And the Gamecock coaches will be out there watching high school games this year. I know that there's a Gamecock coach once the dead period is um, over that's going to go visit a defensive tackle or defensive end in Florida that doesn't have a lot of offers right now. But they're going to get out there and they're going to scout them in person. And he, he might walk away with a committable offer from South Carolina. And if he does, I think you'll see him commit. So – Keep your eyes out. Keep your keep your ears open and your eyes peeled for you know what can happen going forward. Um, I want to talk quickly about some 2024 commitments whose whose season have has started. Um, several future South Carolina Gamecocks had standout performances in their season openers for their senior year. That is, uh, Mazio Bennett, a wide receiver, four star guy. We've talked about him a lot. Um, he plays for Greenville. And um, he had five receptions for 133 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Matthew Fuller, a running back who I think is severely underranked right now. Um, he's a three-star out of Georgia. Um, he had 282 yards rushing and four touchdowns on 13 carries. So I know that you know he played Radwell Institute, and they're not necessarily known as a powerhouse in high school football, but... I mean, those are video game numbers. 282 yards rushing and four touchdowns on 13 carries. I don't know if I could even do that on NCAA football if I was even able to play it anymore. Um, David Bushy uh, played a dual role for Savannah Christian. They won 49-0 against Hilton Head Christian. He had four four catches for 58 yards and, and two touchdowns. And defensively, he had three tackles. I don't think he played a whole lot in this game. And then Michael Smith, um, tight end, one of the best recruits the Gamecocks have, wasn't needed this past this past week. His team won forty nine to eight, but he had two receptions for twenty two yards and a touchdown. So he kind of got his while he was out there. A couple things to close this episode out as a, as a quick aside. If you if you live in Florence, South Carolina, or the surrounding PD areas. Make sure you put 12 p.m. Thursday on your calendar. Tony Morrell of the Big Spur will be giving his season preview live from the Eddie Floyd Conference Center at MUSC in Florence. The event is $20 to get in, and you will get um, free lunch. It's kind of like a buffet style. Eat all you want. Eat the entire time Tony's talking. A lot of fun. You'll have the opportunity to hear from Tony Morrell. He'll break down what his thoughts are. Um, just fall camp. You're going to hear about the scrimmages, and, and Tony's Tony's really good in these kind of settings. And if you've ever wanted to ask Tony a question directly, um, this is your chance. So you can find more details on the Big Spur message board, and I'm sure Tony will be happy to answer any questions you have about the event in his daily Ask Tony thread. And I think that, um, oh, I can't remember his username, but Scat something. He posted something on the on the message boards 
today about it. So make sure you get out there if you're in the Florence area. It's something that if I'm ever if I'm ever able to go to, I, I always make a point to go. Twenty dollars to get in. It's the best twenty dollars you'll spend this month. I guarantee you. Gamecock football doesn't start until September, so get out there and listen to Tony. Even if you're in the Myrtle Beach area, it's worth the drive. And they usually have about 100 people that come to this event. So go see Tony, and and it'll be a lot of fun. Also, if you haven't donated or subscribed monthly to Carolina Rise, the Gamecocks need all the support they can get from this NIL collective. As you know, or you might not know, but I'll tell you right now, Carolina Rise is, and your donations and contributions are helping foot the bill for Park Avenue. Um, the university is not able to foot the bill for Park Avenue under state and NCAA laws. And just this week, you're going to see a handful of players announce deals that Park Avenue has facilitated for them. And it's not enough just to have Park Avenue. And Carolina Rise is at the forefront of helping our athletes earn revenue off their name, image, and likeness. You can join for... Anything that you can contribute, really, it's a collective. So anything that you can contribute really does go a long way, whether it's $5 per month or you join the 1801 Club and pledge $18.01 per month or you, you know, maybe you're a big spender and you got $500 you can donate a month or you just one-time donations. It really goes a long way and you can earmark what sport you'd like your, your contributions to go to. But South Carolina is still well behind other SEC schools and, and also Clemson in, in this NIL effort. And it's hurt us with players like Keelan Adams, Jonathan Paler, and Jalewis Solomon, and, and a couple others, some transfers, some kids we missed out on last year. Um, if you add just Keelan Adams, Jonathan Paler, and Jalewis Solomon to this class, the Gamecocks would be right in the thick for a top 10 overall class with a lot of big fish left. So every dollar really does matter. And I, I'm not sitting here trying to do the I don't know, the the dogs that are, you know, at the pound type thing. It's not like that, and this isn't a guilt trip in any way. But I do really want you guys to consider, if you if you have the means to do so, to donate to a collective, because while Park Avenue does a lot, it can't do everything. And Gamecocks really are falling behind here, guys. So that's my soapbox. That's what I'm going to talk to you guys about at the end of this episode. I appreciate you guys sticking with me tonight. Um, it's one of those things where I, always, I tell you this all the time, but I want to thank you so much for giving me literally the most valuable thing you have, which is your time. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate the opportunity to, to hang out with you all and, and talk about Gamecock athletics. And, and I'm ready for this football season. I know that all of you are as well. And as always, you can reach me at late night Gamecock show at gmail.com or you can reach out to me on the Big Spur message boards under the username Matt Anderson. Um, I'm always here for y'all. If you have any specific questions, let me know. If you have anything you'd like for me to talk about, let me know. But I hope that you all have a great rest of your evening, and I will talk to you all on Thursday. Have a good one. Bye, y'all.